0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Sheepdog Dad podcast. My name is Stuart Jackson, and I am the founder and host of the Sheepdog Dad. Visit thesheepdogdad.com to read articles, listen to podcasts such as this, and sign up for coaching geared towards men, young men, and boys who wish to become responsible stewards of themselves, their families, and society. Please join us on our journey to protect the flock. On this episode, we are joined by Jason Downing of the Warrior Journal. Jason is a former U.S. Marine combat veteran. He's also a business owner, college professor, and author of an upcoming book coming out in March 2023. And on this episode, Jason and I discuss his what he has termed the warrior spirit and how to find that and cultivate that within yourself. Enjoy the episode
1: yeah just uh just see where the conversation flows i love that uh, yeah. by the way where are you where are you located right now like
0: yeah. physically uh i am uh south of houston i am on the uh the texas coast i'm about uh 20 minutes from uh from galveston which is on the texas gulf coast okay. Uh, okay. i can tell yeah, yeah. you uh back in 2017 uh, when Harvey occurred, if you heard of a smaller town in Texas called Dickinson, we were on the national news because we got about fifty <laughs> inches of rain in, in oh, wow. forty eight hours with Hurricane Harvey, and wow. um and so that was quite an experience for us. That that is just a story unto itself. That was actually my very first podcast that I recorded, which came out right around the five year anniversary of Hurricane Harvey. Been I'd been married for uh just about three months uh <laughs> and my dad had to come get us in a canoe and he he, wow. he came with the current that's what he said whenever he was coming to get us. he came with the current, and there was no way that it my that me him my wife, and then our our dog our cat, and just one bag of clothes each that my wife and I were able to to throw into a bag we're going to be able to paddle out. And so I ended up, I ended up walking about uh, a mile in neck deep water and I'm six foot three. So, you know, my wife (laughs) would have been totally underwater, Uh, um, walked about a mile in neck deep water, took about two hours. I was pulling the canoe. Uh, my wife was in there with the pets and uh, my dad was hanging on the back and, um, officially we got, uh, about two feet of water. Uh, officially I say that with FEMA for documenting purposes. And, uh, Uh, we lived, we lived in my parents' uh, apartment garage for about five, five months to the day. And, uh, you know, it was just like, well, you know, we, we got through that. So there's not going to be a lot that we (laughs) can't get through. And, uh, talk about like, testing the marriage right away. That's (laughs) That's, that's pretty incredible. That's exactly right. We went from living, you know, we live in a small house as it is just under 1100 square feet to, you know, a 400 square foot efficiency apartment. And, uh, but you know, it was, uh, it was enjoyable. It was just, you know, the situation we were in and we just had to to get through it. Uh, it was real funny. I'll tell you a, a funny story from that one day. Um, we were not wanting to cook dinner because we were we were lucky the apartment, you know, had its own bathroom, its own uh small kitchenette, uh uh-huh. own dry washer dryer hookup. So we we were very self-sufficient and we uh didn't feel like cooking dinner. And so uh we just walked into my parents' house around dinner time, just striking up a conversation. And my dad says, So what are y'all doing for dinner tonight? And I said, Funny you should ask. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But uh we just made the made the best of it and and, like I said, we moved in five months to the day uh, after Harvey, we were the second house back on the block mm. and for for those five months uh I was almost any spare moment I had. I was over here cleaning up, getting ready for contractors, uh taking measurements for mm-hmm. for other stuff uh and I tell you what, I learned a lot about uh building a house that I did not expect to uh to have to learn. Um uh, I'll tell you another funny quick story, and I know this is totally off on a tangent of asking where I am uh <laughs> location wise, but uh, we were getting some uh laminate floor laid just totally throughout the house. It was waterproof, so it's like, okay, great, we're gonna do it kitchen, bathrooms, bedrooms. It looks good, you know, just snap together laminate, uh, not bad. And um uh, started getting bids from contractors. And I mean, they were wanting five, six, $7 a square foot to Mm. do a job that would probably take half a day. Uh, And prior to that, I told my wife, I said, okay, we're just going to pay someone to do it. They're going to get it done in a day and we can just move forward with the next part of the rebuild. And -hmm. I started getting all those prices and i told her well looks like i'm learning how to lay some laminate flooring <laughs> and uh so it took 2 days my father in law helped me one day uh for half the house my dad helped me the the next day got it done in 2 days of course i was the one on my hands and knees cuz both mm-hmm. those guys said hey mm-hmm. it's your house <laughs> you're the one who's doing the work we'll do we'll do the cutting and we'll hand you the pieces <laughs> but you're the one doing the work but but uh you know it was a good experience of course uh that really Geez, prior to that, I had lived in the house for five years already. um, And I always tried to be self-sufficient as much as I could, but that really took it to the next level of watching YouTube videos. If there was just some simple, Mm -hmm. simple Mm -hmm. thing I could do, I'm going to try that before I call somebody. Now in, you know, you and I's communication, we've got our, our newborn who will be two weeks old tomorrow. Uh, I've got a, I've got a small leak in the washer and I told my wife, I said, I'm not going to take the time to try to fix that with two under two in the house. I'm just going to call somebody (laughs) and just, I know, I know where to, uh, to press my, press my luck. And I just told her I don't have two, three, four hours to sit and mess with that thing to, to try to fix it myself. So, so I'm going to wave the white flag on that one for sure. You, You gotta,
1: you gotta know where, where your strengths are and you gotta know when to outsource. That's, that's my two cents on that one too.
0: That's absolutely right. I am a big follower of Jocko Willink. I found him in uh, 2017, right about, about two, three months before we flooded. And he has, uh, you know, talked about you need to know when to quit in the sense of Mm -hmm. you need to know when to quit trying the way you are trying to accomplish your goal. And, you know, step back, reevaluate, see if there's a different way you can approach it. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you. You got to know, know where your limits are, know where to outsource and know what's worth the time versus, uh, versus the cost savings for sure. Well, that's, and that's something I've been, you know, talking through with my wife. Um, my
1: wife is a, um, the small business owner. She's a doctor and she owns her own medical practice out mm-hmm. here in California started, opened her doors, Um, one month before COVID. hit, Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what a a roller coaster that was, you open up a new business, and then COVID hits, and the world shuts down. So that was, that was quite an interesting, you know, little situation to deal with. Um, So it was like, immediately opening the doors and immediately closing the doors and trying to transition to online and virtual visits. Um, And so I've kind of, you know, to the extent I can with my with my own job, I've been helping her with like operations and, um, and kind of some finance support as, as she's um, been running the business. But now the business has gotten to the point where it's, you know, transitioning from just a small single person run business to now growing and becoming a medium sized business. And so it's figuring out how do you let go of the reins in some areas and how do you learn to delegate so that you can then grow? Because you have your specialty, you have what you're good at and you the business is growing to the point where you can't do everything anymore so you need to learn how to let go and how to be how to uh, hire value people on valuable people on in such a way that it frees you up to do what you do best in order to create values and then provide the framework for other people to come alongside you and create value and then the value is created exponentially based on that
0: you are definitely speaking my language man I am all about uh Leadership training, of course, that's what Jocko really preaches is that extreme ownership Mm -hmm. and that discipline equals freedom. And, you know, like what you're saying, your wife's business growing from a small to a medium-sized business. Looking, if you take a step back, that's actually a really good problem to have. It's like, okay, that that means we're (laughs) we're getting some revenue here and Mm -hmm. enough revenue that I can start to outsource some of these smaller tasks that will, Mm -hmm. like what you said, free you up to do what your expertise is. Mm -hmm. and so so you're definitely speaking my language on that man of just and hiring the right people where you you know that as from your military background i had a brief stint in the military did not go how i was hoping but you know if you know that commander's intent and Mm -hmm. then it really frees you up especially when you get a good leader who's going to let you take take ownership of your part of the task and not micromanage. Yeah. Just yeah. communicate that commander's intent and what the overall goal is. And yeah, you can really let your people go and, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> as Jocko says, and forgive me, I'll, I'll probably, you know, reference him multiple <laughs> multiple times, but you know, uh, it's leading with the minimum force required yeah. and yeah. This, uh, my current position, I work in the public sector uh, in higher ed, and I see that uh, you know from your website you've you're, you've done some instructing uh, mm-hmm. at the higher ed level. So that's definitely something on my list that I want to ask you about. But this is my first team, my first time having real having employees who I actually sign off on their time cards. You know, of course they don't mm-hmm. work for me; they're right. just under me in the chain of command. Um, but knowing coming in having a situation where it's almost just been the wild west and you're having to come in and make drastic changes but communicating why those changes are coming Mm -hmm. and also taking their feedback too of hey we got to make these changes what do you see is the best way to go about Mm -hmm. these changes this is the overall goal we got to get here but Mm -hmm. uh, but how we get there you know definitely looking for your input as a frontline individual, how do we get to that overall goal? So yes, yeah, so you're definitely speaking my language there on on outsourcing where you need to, but while keeping that uh, keeping the goal in mind and keeping the standards for sure. Well, yeah, and and so you mentioned it there, like the, the commander's
1: intent. That's what separates, and you'll know this from your military background. Commander's intent and the theory behind that is really what separates the theory of maneuver warfare from attrition warfare Mm -hmm. Uh, and history buffs will will know what we're talking about here maneuver warfare um being um you know really exemplified in world war ii with the german blitzkrieg um movements where instead of going straight into the teeth of the french defenses they went through poland and went around the french defenses with their panzer tanks using speed maneuverability and pushing decision making down to the lowest possible levels such that it allowed um the lowest possible level of officers to maintain control of the situation without waiting for word to get all the way back up to the generals and then all the way back down to them. And only by doing that were they able to maintain that speed and that force and you know catch the French pretty much completely unaware and unprepared. Um, so the what you know the commander's intent is is, you know, what I like to think about it as is, you know, if I'm on the battlefield and I get tasked with, okay, you need to go and clear and hold building A because we want to secure a patrol route which goes right alongside the building, right? And we think that the enemy's in building A. So it's like, okay, that has two parts to it. So clear and hold building A, that's the mission, all right? That's the mission statement. Mm-hmm. The in order to, and everything after that is the commander's intent, in order to secure a patrol route for friendly forces, um, which go right, goes right alongside building A. So, and here's why that's important, because if you show up, and you know this, if you show up and you're at building A, and that's where you think the enemy is, so you enter it, you clear through it, and you realize the enemy's not there. All right, cool, you know, easy mission for you, right? But then you look outside the window and you realize that the adjacent building, building B, that's where the enemy's at. Well, now you have a decision to make, right? Because your mission was to clear and hold building A, but you know that the commander's intent was that you're trying to secure that patrol route. So what do you do? Well, with commander's intent, what you do is you realize, okay, Intel got it a little bit wrong. What they really want me to do is clear and hold building B because the ultimate goal of this mission is for me to secure a patrol route. And if I fail to clear and hold building B, then the patrol forces that go alongside this patrol route, they're going to be attacked because that's where the ambush position is actually at. It's in Building B. So, but if you didn't have that commander's intent, what you would do is you'd show up to Building A, you'd say, "Okay, we're good. Time to pack it up and go home. Easy day, right?" And then the mm-hmm. ultimate commander's intent doesn't get accomplished. So that's what a commander's intent does. It it pushes decision making down to the lowest possible level. And the reason why that's important on the battlefield is because you know, for any number of reasons, they call it the fog of war, but communication often gets, is, is, it's very difficult. It can get restricted. It can get cut off entirely. So you don't always have time to radio back to base and say, hey, listen, I think that the enemy's actually in building B. Uh, do you want us to go into that one, too? You know, so you, ha- you might be cut off from communication for a while. You're going to have to make your own decisions while you're on the ground at the ground level. Um, within a business standpoint, obviously, you're not clearing and holding buildings, and at least you hope you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> the same idea still is in play is that you you say, all right, here's what I think the problem is. And here's what I think a top level solution is, you know, from an executive standpoint, from mm-hmm. my point of view. However, I'm not an expert at logistics, I might not be an expert at marketing, I might not be the expert in sales. So Based on this commander's intent of whatever we need to do to reorganize and reshape this organization, here's what I want to have happen. Now, you go down at your level and you make the decisions that are necessary in order to to run the teams the way that you think is most efficient, in in the way that you think most and best accomplishes the the commander's intent that I have set up. And then, of course, I'm going to check back with you. We're going to have regular check ins, but to the extent that I trust you and to the extent that you are doing your job well, I'm giving you free reign to run your team the way that you see fit and which is best in line with the commander's intent that's established. That's already been established.
0: Absolutely. And l- let's just stick with that business scenario because I think a lot more people will be, r- be able to relate to that. <laughs> On, you know, so many people, I think, are afraid to make a decision mm-hmm. because they're afraid mm-hmm. to get it wrong. And right. they're afraid of, quote, getting in trouble or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, looking stupid, looking dumb. and But also where you said, you know, I'm not a logistics expert, I'm not a communication expert. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. There's people in your organization who are those types, who are those experts. <laughs> and right. all you got to do is just, hey, you know, <clears throat> I would even suggest setting up a face-to-face of course this is in a business setting setting mm-hmm. up just a face-to-face meeting of like hey bill over in marketing i really mm-hmm. need your help with this can i come over and chat with you about that at a good time that's good for you just so i can give you as much information to where i can pick your brain and you can help me help me out on this decision making but yeah so many people are are I, what i see is are just afraid of making that decision they like me and told what to do And like what you said, it's just, well, I did what I I was told to do. I don't need Mm -hmm. to think any harder than Mm -hmm. what my direct report tells me to think. And uh, Mm -hmm. going back to also what you said too, uh, on the commander's intent and and making that decision at an executive level, Mm -hmm. it could even be just making that decision on what would a reasonable person in this situation make right now with the information at hand and i've said mm-hmm. that to my to to several colleagues before and it's it's great with the leadership that we have now compared to the leadership that has been in the past where i've had colleagues tell me no one has ever phrased it that way and it just makes so much more sense and alleviates mm-hmm. that stress of mm-hmm. decision making what's a reasonable yeah. person reasonable person going to do in this situation so yeah man well, so
1: The problem with a lot of organizations, and I think this is just the natural evolution, and this is why a lot of big businesses fail, and why the average lifespan of a a company on the Fortune 500, I think, is about 40 years, Mm -hmm. um, is that eventually it becomes so hierarchical that the people in the middle have little to no actual decision-making authority. (laughs) And what that means is that if they do step outside their, their purview, if they try to think for themselves, they have, they get zero credit if things go right, but they bear all the blame if something goes wrong. And from a risk mitigation standpoint, you can run the math that gives you zero incentive to do anything that is outside your direct purview, right? Like if something goes, if Mm -hmm. if I, if I do, if I take initiative and I create a new project, will I get any awards or recognition? Eh, probably not because you know my uh, senior leader that they're going to end up taking you know responsibility for that, and so. But if something goes wrong, guess who takes the blame? I do because I'm the one to stick my stuck my neck out. Mm-hmm. So, I'll, and that it's one of the big problems that a lot of you know I've, I've I've dabbled in in corporate America several different times, and it's what I've seen repeatedly as I've gone through is that you know they they always say we want innovative, creative people because they recognize that's what they need but the very hiring process and and the the way the organization is structured from the ground up eliminates creative people just from the get go so it's it's a problem that that has yet to be solved in my opinion
0: i laugh whenever you say that about the middle managers because i currently am a middle manager and <laughs> my my standard response to family friends when they ask how's work going i say oh you know high enough to hear the problems from above and below below enough that I can't actually do anything about them. <laughs> so so I, I that's why I laugh. that's exactly right. I can certainly <laughs> sympathize with that. Well let's definitely get into your con- get into the conversation with the Warrior Journal. Uh, okay. Just from what I've seen uh on the uh it's the warrior dot com. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. The warriorjournal.com yes.
0: Yes. And I know on Instagram, uh, the warrior journal blog. And so looks like you and I, we definitely are on the same mission. We're definitely Mm -hmm. putting ourselves out there of, for me personally, I don't want to speak for you, but for me personally, putting myself out there just to see where it goes. You know, I've Mm -hmm. started this podcast along with a coaching business and it, uh, really it's just, okay. I just want to see if I can, make it on the private side, you know, trying to uh, get any type of coaching consulting uh, and just kind of see where it goes. And so yeah. you with your uh, your military background, I know you were a captain in the Marine Corps. And so yes. I guess let's start there on, you know, what drove you to making that decision? Because of course that is not a light decision to make. You, mm-hmm. you knew that there were Is a very, very high likelihood of going into a combat zone. You were an officer, so you most likely went the college route prior to enlisting. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's just touch there because definitely with your background of being an actual warrior as a Marine, that I'm sure was the genesis of the Warrior Journal.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. What actually came before the Warrior Journal was the book. The mm. book is where everything started for me. And we can get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, so why I joined the military, um, I was back in my undergraduate and I graduated, let's see, from undergrad in 2009. So it was probably 2007, 2008. Um, and at that time, the Iraq war was still going on. Afghanistan was had started and it kind of, dwindled when focus shifted to Iraq. And then we ended up shifting focus back to Afghanistan. Um, And why was I interested in the military? I think that for some of the reasons why a lot of people get interested, I needed a challenge. Mm -hmm. I needed a dragon to slay. I wanted to make a difference and I was not overly impressed with a lot of the options that were presenting themselves to me. Um, in the corporate world at the time. And then, so I was actually pre-law, um, pre-law student uh, in my undergrad. And part of the political science route also was um, the school I went to also had an emphasis in international affairs. So I was also taking multiple classes in international affairs. And because the war was such a big topic of conversation, uh, so what a lot of, you know, times we talked about in class. And I kept hearing this phrase over and over again. It's like on both sides, on, you know whether you were conservative on the right or or more liberal on the left. You know, I kept hearing this phrase: "Is like, well, this is what the soldiers, this is what the marines, this is what the airmen really want." And you know, depending on your own bent, it would be, well, they really want to stay there till the job's done, or they really want to leave. They want to be home with their families. And I remember sitting back, thinking to myself, "None of you have any clue <laughs> what the soldiers and the marines want because you're not there and you haven't actually talked to them." So I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth. And if I want to know what it's like, I'm actually going to go over there and figure out what it's like. And so they had a program. The Marines have a program called Officer Candidate School. And if you're in college, what you can do is you can go during the summer. You can either go for six weeks or 10 weeks. There's a six-week program. Which then you have to do back-to-back years, or you can just do one 10-week program. They may have gotten wind of the rid of the 10-week option uh since I since I left. Um, I know there was talk about doing that, but at the time, I decided to do the 10-week option. It's more or less boot camp, but it's it's the officer's version of boot camp. And so mm-hmm. during the summer, you go and you spend 10 weeks out into the in the forests of Virginia, Quantico, Virginia. Um running up and down and and doing all the things that you might expect that you do in boot camp and in basic training. Um, and the focus is a bit different in officer candidate school as compared to boot camp In officer candidate school, what they're really looking for, what they're trying, they, the question they're trying to answer is, do you have potential to be an officer? Would I ever put you in front of Marines and trust that you could lead them? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that when you leave there after 10 weeks that you are able to do that. They're not going to make you proficient in 10 weeks what they are going to do is see whether or not you have the potential and so they're going to push you as as much as they can they're going to try to get you to quit and and the people that quit well okay then then you weren't able to to we're, you're obviously not the type of person that we want to put in front of a bunch of marines because if you can quit in training, then how much more are you going to quit when you're overseas or when you know when you're in a combat situation. Mm-hmm. So that that that's the logic obviously behind that. And so I went for 10 weeks. I went through training and I really liked it. I liked the spirit. I liked the camaraderie. I liked the vision and I liked being part of something that was bigger than myself. So that's why um you know after I graduated from school, that's why I decided to join the Marines. Um, And I'll I'll talk about the idea of, I remember when I was going out there to OCS, it was a 10-week program and I knew that. And at the time I had a pretty good, like I was in pretty good shape in terms of my running, but I remember I can only do about 12 pull-ups at that time. So my upper body strength was not where I wanted it to be, and I remember they picked us up at the airport, and they're driving us out to the base, you know, through all these endless, endless woods, and I, you really start to feel that you're just alone and separated from every, everybody, you know, like maybe for the first time, I think it was the first time in my life, like I was truly on my own and needed to figure out and do this thing on myself. I didn't have any friends or family around, and I remember looking around the bus, and there was obviously other candidates there. And some of them are d one athletes that I'm mm. competing with, you know, that are also coming. They're very good shape. And I realized very quickly, like, you know, I'm not a d one athlete. So um, and a lot of these other candidates are. So here's the thing. I may not make it through this. I might not, you know, I might get kicked out. i might they might tell me I'm not good enough. And I was okay with that. I was okay with them telling me, Look, this is an elite level training program. Uh, you know, you did your best, but I'm sorry, this just isn't for you. I was okay with that, but I, what what I wasn't okay with was quitting. And because after three weeks in in training, they allow you if you don't want to be there, they allow you to uh, to say, "Hey, I, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go home." It's kind of like um, you know, in Hell Week for the um, for the Navy SEALs when you mm-hmm. ring the bell. It's very similar, right? And they're they're constantly telling you. That you can ring that bell, right? They're constantly saying, "Hey, remember? I know you're tired. You could be home sleeping right now. You could be with your girlfriend. You could have a nice hot cup of coffee. You could have a full belly." Um, it was a, its a very similar environment when they're telling you what you know. The, the instructors in Marine Corps training—they're, "Why are you here? Are you sure you want to be here? Uh, don't are you aren't you sure you want to? You don't want to go home?" And they're trying to push you to see whether or not you have what it takes to stick it out when the going gets rough. And, but the thing is, when I, I think it was on that bus ride there that for me, when, you know, being sound and sober minded, I made, I just took that decision off the table at the very beginning. I said, this is just not an option for me. I'm just, they can kick me out, but I'm not going to take myself out. And so sure enough, at the end of the 10 weeks, I was still there. Some of the other D1 athletes, they weren't there, Mm -hmm. uh, but I still was. And so I think that that is one of the tricks Whenever you're going into something difficult like that, um, is to just talk to yourself before you go into it and you say, you know what? Quitting's not on the table for me, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do the best I can. And if I don't make it through, that's fine. There's no shame in that, but I'm not going to take myself out of the running. So,
0: mm-hmm. and so with your, with your stint throughout the military, uh, mm-hmm. of course, you know, um, uh with with attaining the rank of captain, uh I'm gonna guess you probably spent about six years in the Marine Corps. Is that about right? Uh I spent uh just about yeah, well, just over
1: five, actually. Okay. I, I extended to go on my second deployment.
0: Okay. And so and with that, you know, those leadership lessons that you learned, what you saw from good leadership, mm-hmm. what you saw from bad leadership, what mm-hmm. you know you wanted to take from that. Was that where you know, the lessons of the book, uh, which of course we definitely want to say it's recapturing the warrior spirit. Mm -hmm. Is is that kind of where you started just filing those little mental notes away of what you wanted to put into the book?
1: You know, I don't, at the time I never thought about writing Mm -hmm. the book when I was in the Marines. Um, but that is undoubtedly where, where I started making all those mental notes. Um, it's funny when you, are in the Marines, then you transition out. Um, it comes as a bit of a culture shock because then you go into uh, corporate America and you assume that the leadership lessons that have been drilled into you for the last, you know, for me it was for the last five years. Um, I spent two years in training and then multiple deployments afterwards. Um, you just assume that like that's just the way things are going to be, but that's the norm for you. You know, this this the idea of the servant leader mentality, putting others first, uh, being very clear in your communication we already talked about commanders intent, all these things, they just, you know, being on time, it's something as simple as being on time and showing up 15 minutes ahead of time, you know, for meetings, these, these little things that are just become second nature and you assume, well, that's the way it almost must work when, when, you know, you get out into the business world and it's just, it's not, it's not always the way things <laughs> work. And, but so, you know, definitely there, were, those were the, where the lessons uh, that I ended up writing about, um, were instilled for the first time, yeah.
0: And I really should have asked this question first before we we delved into uh, into that. Are uh, would you consider uh, the book? Would you consider that more of a leadership book? Is it more of just hey these are some stories and these are the lessons that I learned from it? You know, is this mm-hmm. a self help book? How would you uh, quantify and qualify the book? I, and, uh, <laughs> and again, I really should have asked that question previous uh, previously because I would really like uh, like your take on that for sure.
1: Yeah, I think in, this is uh, kind of the problem when you go to publish a book is that one of the first things you want to tell a publisher or, or an editor or anybody who's who you're trying to convince to be a part of the book, you want to tell them where it's going to sit on the bookshelf. What are mm-hmm. the other books around it? So that way they know how to sell it to the publisher. Mm-hmm. And right, it, that's just the easiest way to do it. And so broadly speaking, the biggest category I think mine would fall into would be self-help. And although it's not just that, it's also a reflection on kind of the the current state of uh, the United States and the modern West, where we are in this, this ongoing kind of culture war that, that sprung up. And also, uh, there's definitely some lessons on leadership in there. So it could very well, if there are definitely leadership lessons to take away, I think the broadest category would be self-help. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is that, look, the reason I started writing the book, Is I started writing it when when it was 2020. And as I've already mentioned, the pandemic was going on, the world was shut down, um, seemingly falling apart. A lot of the underlying tensions and sicknesses that were that have been going on um, you know, in the hearts and minds of people, I think because of the added stress, did they just raise to the surface and became even more readily apparent during that time? And I remember comparing the mindset and the mentality of the young, like late teens, early 20s Marines that I had served alongside and that I had trained, that I had led while I was in the Marines, comparing that mentality uh, to the mentality that I saw increasingly growing and becoming more and more popular out in just well, America, um, you know, the, the culture writ large that we all live in um, with the same age range, you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, and you've already mentioned that I am a professor, I'm a part-time professor. And so these are the same, you know, group of the age range, the group of individuals um, that I am teaching um, is the same age range that I was dealing with in the Marines. And just the the disparity between those mindsets was so different, was so stark that I was just shocked and I was really concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really concerned me, but it also really motivated me. And I remember at the time I was so kind of frustrated and distraught that at times I couldn't even sleep, you know, because I just had these endless thoughts going on in my head. The only way I could get myself to sleep is I would get up, I would pull out my journal and I would just write. Sometimes it would just be a paragraph, sometimes just a page. Sometimes I would go on for for multiple pages just writing down my idea until all the ideas in my head were out on paper and then I could sleep and what eventually happened is uh, my wife um, who was then my fiance at the time she ended up picking up you know the the journal and reading some of the some of what I'd written down and she looked at me she's like this is actually really really good I think that you could actually like you have a gift for writing and I think that you could actually help people have you ever thought about writing a book and at the time I was like, yeah, that's, that's nice. It's kind of, no, no, I'm not going to write a book. That's just, it, my belief was that I could never write a book, but that was one of my limiting beliefs that I had to eventually overcome. Mm-hmm. But little by little, I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to write a book, you know, what would it be titled and what, what, what message would I, would I give to people? And what I eventually realized is that as a professional warrior, somebody who had studied the warrior spirit for most of my adult life, that's what I had to offer to these young, late teens, early 20-year-olds, which was, which was really my target audience, kind of as I was going through it. It's about rediscovering, recapturing, reigniting the warrior spirit within them. Uh, and what, how I define the warrior spirit is the drive that enables individuals to boldly, courageously, and honorably confront the challenges and opportunities they face in life. So that's what the book's about. Um, we dive into four of the primary warrior virtues, um, which I, which have become increasingly, I would say, problematic in our modern culture: uh, the idea of service, the idea of truth, the idea of power, and the idea of fortitude in the face of hardship and suffering. So those are the four primary, like, meat of the book um, that. Um, that anyone who picks it up and reads it, I hope will be encouraged
0: and inspired um, and learn from. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to whenever that does come out. How has, uh, well, uh, I think I know the answer to this question on how the luck has been for finding a publisher, because I believe on Instagram, you've got a March 23 release date. Is that still accurate? Uh, March 28th is the kind of the, publication date. So if, if it says
1: 23 on Instagram, I'll have to, I'll have to double check. Um, uh, I, to I,
0: should, that. I should say March 2023, 20, I should say. So okay. it does, it does. So it is accurate. It is accurate. Oh, okay, on okay, your okay. Instagram. Okay. Very good. <laughs> well, uh, you, I think are going to be a very qualified person for this question to ask, because you mentioned what you were seeing during COVID and, uh, in post-COVID of the culture war within the US, really Mm -hmm. with, and let's be honest, being on social media, whatever Mm -hmm. algorithm you want to get sucked Mm -hmm. into, you will Mm -hmm. get sucked into. Yeah, And I have made a conscious effort that if I see something that I don't want to get into my subconscious, then I go on the ellipses and I say, I don't want to see this anymore. And I have noticed how quickly the algorithm has changed on what I am seeing. I'm seeing a lot more leadership mm-hmm. positive, leading yourself, leading your family type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, with you uh, having a degree in the social sciences with uh, political science and then the background of international affairs. Mm-hmm were you really getting concerned on what you're seeing on social media not only for how this next you know a generation coming up is mm-hmm. seeing the world but also let's be honest and you know if someone says that I'm a conspiracy theorist then so be it but let's be honest what is the easiest way actually, you know what, I'm going to ask you this question because you are a a former, uh, you're a veteran. What's the easiest way to win a war against your enemy? Mm -hmm. What would be your answer be to that?
1: Oh, You sow dissension from the inside out. Yeah. You get them to deconstruct themselves.
0: There you go. Yeah. And how I would answer that question is you don't even let your opponent know that you are in a fight and mm-hmm. yeah like what you're saying you yeah you can't man- break out of a prison
1: you don't know you're in yep, yeah.
0: yeah, and you you sow seeds of distrust of a younger mm-hmm. generation who is much more has a mind that's much more malleable malleable much mm-hmm. and so I, this is a very long-winded uh question so i apologize for that but yeah. what are you thinking on you know is you know TikTok, twitter the amount of bots that have been found on Twitter Mm. since Elon's purchase. Mm. How much of that do you truly believe is some type of foreign entity that is just legitimately trying to influence the minds of Americans, specifically individuals who are 25 and younger, 18 and younger? What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, gosh, based on the information that has come out, I think there's very little doubt that other countries, China in particular, are doing everything they can to take advantage of the social media platforms that have become so popular and to push their own interests via these social media platforms. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it, it almost goes without saying they would have to be stupid to not do that since it's so incredibly easy to do it. you know the question of whether or not social media is a net positive or a net negative for society i think that is very much an open question um you know when you when you look at it from from a cultural perspective and you look at it from a national perspective it's really a good question and you probably have to break it down by um by platform because you know each one of these platforms is a little bit different um you know, Twitter, I would say, would, would be like one of the, for the longest time, was one of the worst platforms to be on. So I just straight up refused to be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the limited word count was was one of the biggest things there. It just kind of, it, bias, it biased itself towards the short, pithy, uh, you know, incendiary remarks that didn't actually have any real content to them or any real thought behind them. It just biased itself towards anyone who could put together a quick, you know, catchy phrase or something that would provoke a lot of attention and then the you know, the, the more people that got incensed by it, you know, obviously they're, they, they would like it or they would retweet it, which would then promote it even more and it just the the algorithm would spiral it out of control. Whereas if you actually sat down and you gave like a nice, well-reasoned, well-thought-out response, you know, you get like two likes and, <laughs> and th- that's it, you know, so... And part of it was just the way the platform was structured. Um, now, is, are things going to change now that you know ownership has changed hands? That's that's anybody's guess. You know, I guess that now there's about seventy five percent of the existing employees are no longer there, and the and it's still running. It you know yeah. still has record traffic, still mm-hmm. still up and running. Nothing's wrong with it. Also, apparently in two weeks they've gotten rid of a lot of the um, the child prostitution and sexualization mm. uh, people who are benefiting from that uh, which is amazing that they were able to do that in two weeks it's also amazing that it hadn't already been done um, both of those strike me as quite profound so you know we'll we'll see what happens with Twitter um, I'll just say this you know I, I like I like um, these social media sites to the extent that they do allow a diverse range of opinions to be heard. And I think that that's the benefit of them rather than, you know, it's no longer people forced to get their news, um, from, you know, the, the pre-existing uh, news outlets, which, you know, let's also be honest are, are, have their own biases mm-hmm. that, that everybody knows and that are already built in, um, and I think that the existing the legacy news media is pretty much gone the way of a dodo. They they're dead, they just they had they don't know it yet, and they're slowly dying. Um, because things are just n- nobody trusts them anymore, whether on the right mm-hmm. or the left, really, right? You know, like you you can go to those sites, you can you can see them, but everybody knows what you're gonna get with I could pretty much write the story before I go onto the website because I already know what their spin is gonna <laughs> yeah. be, even before I get there, right? On the right or yep. the left. And so you know and, and so and, and people know that like it, it's it's not a secret anymore so i think that the to the extent that the social media platforms do allow um for all, alternative viewpoints to get out there i think that they can be a good thing the danger and what you kind of um referenced earlier is that when you go you can the algorithm will show you posts that you like right um and the good thing about that is that if there are very, if there is a lot of negative content that brings you down, you can purposely choose not to look at that. You can purposely choose uh, to focus on things that are uplifting. The downside is that it it also will continually feed you information that already suits your biases, so it could potentially polarize the society even further because if you're on the left Mm. you're going to see a bunch of stuff that supports the left if you're going to if you're on the right you're going to see a bunch of stuff that supports the right um you know i i heard douglas murray say it this way he says you know having different opinions is so 20th century in the 21st century we all have different facts we're not even arguing Mm. over opinions anymore we're arguing over what are the right facts and that Mm. is a much much deeper problem to have we have to have a a discussion about facts before we can even get to what the, our opinions are about the facts, um, and I think so. That is one of the things that concerns me about social media. I think it's it's becoming a polarizing force. Um, it just 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 because of that, because people will continually be fed the information that already pertains that are, that already you know fits their predetermined view way of of viewing the world. Um, and it takes effort to break out of that. And when you're going online and, and you're just, you know, lazy and you're not focusing, you know, that's not the time people typically show the greatest amount of effort. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, for me personally, I know this is a long way to answer, mm-hmm. but you know for me, I need to take a social media break every now and then. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's been a while since I did it just because I've been um, using social media to promote the book and promote the business. But I would say like once a quarter, I, I in the past, I've just deleted it from my phone entirely say, I'm taking at least a week off of this and I'm not even gonna engage at all because I need to clear my mind. And I actually need to engage with people, not, mm-hmm. not the facsimiles of people, not like the two-dimensional representations of what people could be, right? Or what they're presenting themselves as. as. I need to actually go face-to-face with people immerse myself with them and then when you do that you realize these people who you are seemingly so different from you on Instagram or social media they're just they're they're just people at the end mm-hmm. of the day right yep you know, they actually have more in common with you than than not actually
0: <laughs> yes and and I know we did not even touch on that that might that social media might have been a topic to to discuss <laughs> in our previous uh, communication but just with your background of being overseas, being in combat zones, having the education you you do, uh, you definitely seem like the uh, the right person to go to with that kind of that kind of question. <laughs> so so thank you very much. I appreciate that that answer very much. So, well, let's kind of uh, kind of recalibrate, get back on track of our topics <laughs> to discuss for sure. Well, no, that's so good. yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just saying no, that, Like, I like these kind of questions that are off the wall and force you to think like, you know, that's what we said at the beginning, like wherever the conversation leads, that's where we're going to go. So I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's see for your professorship for mm-hmm. uh, for your teaching. What uh, what level are you teaching at? And um what subjects are you teaching and and how are you how have you if at all been able to tie that into the book and into uh, the warrior journal blog
1: so i teach at the undergraduate level and i have taught a few classes now i've taught a um, primarily geared around business and finance is primarily where mm. i've been teaching classes um, and so I have a master's degree in business and I have a master's degree in finance. so that those topics kind of lend themselves to to being um, you know my vein of expertise, although mm. I am teaching a public speaking course next semester, uh, which I'm quite looking forward to. Uh, so I would say that you know those are the 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 classes I've been teaching, those are the subjects I've really enjoyed engaging with um, the students that are that particular age range. I find, you know, the undergraduate levels, that's when you're really, that's the first time you're really separated from your family um, in a real way. When you're trying to form your identity, kind of catalyze it, figure out who you're going to be. And so being able to step into that situation and provide a little bit of hope, a little bit of direction, I like to also weave into, even if it's just a finance class, you'll weave into it a little bit of life advice here and there. And I would say that when you're teaching in front of a classroom and you're going over topics, and if you could pay attention to the students and you look out at them, they'll tell you what sparks their interest and what doesn't just by just by looking at their eyes and looking at their faces. You know, they'll mm-hmm. they, you'll touch on some topics and you'll notice that, okay, they're just being put to sleep. All right. And maybe maybe you have to cover the topic. So you just try to keep it as interesting as you can. But then you're going to touch on other topics like, um, I don't know, personal investments, personal responsibility, how to um, some life advice, like how how to here's a big one, how to behave in an interview. Very simple question, really simple life advice that you would think would be so obvious of a topic to go over at the college level, but I can't tell you how many students have told me this is the first time we've ever heard this, like how to conduct yourself in an interview. How do you send a follow-up email afterwards? um, How to um, request, you know, reach out on LinkedIn and request um, to speak with professionals that are in the same line of business that you want to, that you want to work in. Just be, hey, I'm a student can I uh, can I buy you a cup of coffee sometime and can I just pick your brain and I'm you know just encouraging students in every small way in these little areas that seem so obvious but you know they just never get that kind of life advice and so I think that that definitely and, and the responses that I've gotten from the students have definitely overflowed you know into the writing as I was um, drafting the book. <laughs>
0: Well, being in higher education myself, I can tell you, you are doing a definite service to these students on just those basic things because yes, uh, you and I were close to the, to the same age and I'm, I'm 36. I I, I, uh, think you're going to be in your early thirties. It would have never occurred to me that someone doesn't know how to walk into a room, sit down and say, you know, answer these standard questions of this is my background. This is why I'm here today. Thank you very much, Mr. or Miss. So-and-so. And And so, yeah, so I have had industry tell me very recently, Please incorporate some type of professionalism into your courses. I mean, industry managers, hire, hiring managers have said that that they are looking for that, and they are seeing a, a need for that for sure. And so you're definitely you're definitely doing right by those students. So definitely keep it up for sure. And hopefully that public speaking course will come in handy uh, in your own business whenever you know you're getting out there and promoting the book and things like <laughs> mm-hmm. that. Well, well, I'll tell you.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. No, go saying? ahead. Um, Well, I'll tell you, like, one of the reasons I'm excited about public speaking is that I've had to do a lot of public speaking in my life, whether it be in the military, standing up, giving missions, giving orders. Um, And that could be, you know, around the hood of a Humvee. Or I remember in one case, I was standing in front of a room of 300 people and including about five generals or admirals. Um, which were sitting in the front row, and I was probably the lowest ranking officer in the room. So that that was a trying uh, situation where mm. you definitely need to have a, a bit of professionalism and self-confidence mm-hmm. come forth. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a number of situations where I've done public speaking, but I'll tell you, growing up, I was not able to do that. I was very mm. much an introvert. I think that's why writing comes you know, so easily to me, why I really enjoy writing. And I remember one particular episode from my childhood when I was, you know, they asked me to get up in school, I think it was in sixth grade or whatever, and give a presentation. I remember like my hands were shaking, I could barely get the words out. So because it didn't come naturally to me and because I had to learn how to speak in public and how to overcome that, that fear, which is present in a lot of people, and I'm not naturally extroverted. The fact that I'm able to tell students that and say, listen, if you're scared, I get it. Trust me, I get it, you know, and here's how I overcame that. And here's how you can, too. I think that it just provides that extra level of credibility and also hope uh, from the student's perspective that, you know, this guy can do it. Why not me, too?
0: Mm -hmm. I definitely relate to you on that. On that aspect i was an introvert very very much growing up i still am to some degree where small talk is very very difficult for me especially with someone new it's even difficult you know it can be with some colleagues and coworkers, and mm-hmm. uh, but also i've had friends tell me you know let's say on the jujitsu mat uh, whenever we're talking after class where they say that you know there's no way that you can be an introvert and i tell them well if i if I'm with my friends or if I'm talking about something that I'm really interested in, then it's really no problem to, to have that conversation, but I can definitely relate to having to put yourself out there and just be like, okay, I got to start this conversation and we're just going to go. Yeah. Well, and the, the last thing I have that I definitely wanted to touch on is going to be the warrior journal blog. So you've got mm-hmm. multiple articles already up. I really like how you have it broken down by subject. You've got writing, you've got warrior spirit, fitness and military. And mm-hmm. so is the blog, is that just kind of a continuation of ideas from the book or is that just something entirely different?
1: No, it's definitely a continuation of the same ideas. It actually started as a landing page and marketing effort for the book. And Mm. um, I realized that if I'm going to be publishing this book and getting it out there, um, that I'm also going to need to be an active participant in marketing it and getting Mm -hmm. the message out there and building a community in and around that. So that's how it started. What it's transforming into is becoming much more than that. And it's a way to engage with this active community of people who just at their core want to become better versions of themselves. They have this idea of what a warrior is. They like the idea of of engaging challenges and opportunities in their lives in a different manner than what society tells them to do, which is society will tell them to complain about it, that it's somebody else's fault. Or that there is no hope that you should wait and, and and be dependent on the government or 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 your organization to fix the problem for you, and people are looking for hope, and so being able to engage with them and 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 just continue the conversation beyond where the book is. You know, the book uh, it's definitely took me about two and a half years to write, so I'm very proud of it. But whenever you put together a book, uh, you write whatever the book length is, you wrote probably at least double that, right? Mm. Because there's a lot of editing that goes into a book. And that's one of the challenges of a book is that once it's published, it's not exactly easy to go back and just change it, right? Because it's published, it's out there. You can, of course, you can you can have a second edition maybe, or, or maybe you write a sequel, but but the the words you put out there are there. So you have to be very confident in them and they have, in some way, they're kind of finalized, and and there's little that you can do to add onto it once it's already published and out there. So being able to continue the conversation, being able to then engage in, in different media outlets, like, you know, doing this podcast, um, being able to explore different ideas that are in some way related to the topics I've discussed in the book, but to explore them in a new light. This is the type of things that, that are really exciting to me um, as I'm going in, you know, in, in, in and working on the blog also uh you know i have this uh i think you mentioned it earlier this warrior morning routine mm, um, yes yep which, which uh by the way anybody who goes to the warrior journal.com all you gotta do is scroll down and a little pop-up ad will come up you just put in your name and your email and free pdf will be sent to you um and it's It's my morning routine is what I put down and what there's lots of morning routines out there so what makes mine I think a little bit different is that it starts the night before. Uh, A lot of people think that they can just do whatever they want the night before they can um, stay up watching TV as late as they want they can drink as much as they want they can, um, you know. Uh, be on their electronic devices until all hours of the night, never really close out the day, never spend time with family, and then somehow wake up the next morning and turn it all around and and, and own the day. And that's just not the case. It's never been the case for me at, at the very least. So, you know, this, this routine will start the night before, goes into the next morning, and it is one of the biggest game changers for me as I started to incorporate this into my life, just seeing how just some, a small series of habits that are established and done repeatedly over the long run, and I don't know if you can attest to this as well, over the long run can affect drastic changes in your life and in your performance. You know, as human beings, we tend to underestimate, or let me let me rephrase that, we overestimate what we can do in the short term, and we underestimate what we can accomplish in the long term, Just and it's all the power of habits. One of the biggest habits that you can put in place is to have a solid evening and morning routine every single day.
0: I can definitely relate to what you're saying about that uh, the routine and the, you know, basically what you were, you were touching on is that iterative decision-making and mm-hmm. those iterative, the iterative, excuse me, the iterative goal setting of just those tiny goals, just compounded one after another, after another. And you're going to look back 30, 60, 90, 180 days later. It's like, man, look how far I've come. And mm-hmm. I can definitely relate to that of, um, on my jujitsu journey. I've been training jujitsu for, uh, almost five years now. And that has been never ever has it been okay. I have this goal to become some, become a black belt. That has never ever entered my mind. What is my goal? Get onto the mats. X number of days a week, whether it be two, three, five days a week. Okay, just get on the mats. That's the goal. Okay, great. I got on the mats. I had some good training. I got to hang out with my friends. I got some good social interaction because it has become just as much, if not more, about those relationships, being around people who push me to do better physically, mentally, emotionally, be a better dad and a better husband and just the the belts are going to come the promotions are going to come and that at this point I could really care less about that I just want to hang out with my friends and get a good workout in and the results are going to come so I can I definitely can can relate to what you're saying on that uh on that iterative goal setting that small goal setting and yeah I with waking up with a morning routine I wake up. Well, before I had two under two, I woke up 20, 28 days out of 30 days a month. I woke up with a plan for the day and I got up and I, I executed that plan. Uh, now it's 30 days out of 30. I got to get up. I got to get myself ready. I got to get to a point where I'm ready to go, where I can get the kids ready. And so, yeah, it's, and yeah he, i i'm really looking forward to to what you continue to do with the warrior journal because yes i can't imagine being a parent who just rolls out of bed when my child rolls out of bed and i'm trying to get us both out the door and i'm trying to be successful at work and make sure they're successful with whatever they're doing so yeah you have to it's definitely the the mentality of you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then help the mm. person sitting next to you because if you're not taking care of yourself to the best of your ability, how are you mm. going to take care of, of your kids and, and your wife and your family? And yeah, yeah. so, so Very I can well definitely, said. definitely yeah. relate. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, I definitely want to ask you this question. This one came to me too uh, during our discussion. So aside from what you're doing with the Warrior Journal blog, you've got the book coming out. What mm-hmm. are you doing? So you can't, you can't cite either of those two things. What are you doing personally to continue to capture your own warrior spirit?
1: Yeah, I one of my favorite things that I do um, every single day, um, I wake up in the morning and you know, I, I um, grab some coffee and I go in and I journal. So that's one of my mm. daily habits in my in my morning every single day. Uh, is and it's not, it's not a super long time, you know. It's maybe five minutes, ten minutes. Um, series of questions that I go through. Um, you know, what are my top five things? And I'm talking like needle movers. What are things that I'm going to do today that I'm going to really move the needle. Um, and I, but the first thing I do is I start with gratitude. So what am I grateful for today? What is my prayer slash intention for the day? Uh, what are the top things I need to accomplish today? And then what are my goals, you know, for mindset, nutrition, and health. And I'd like to take response. I'd like to take you know credit, uh, for these questions. I actually got, um, this particular journal I'm going through right now from my, uh, good friend. Um, Todd Durkin, who uh, owns Fitness Quest 10. So I, I got to give a shout out to him mm. because I, he's the, uh, he was the creator of this particular journal, um, that I'm going through. And it's just, that's one thing I'm doing is every single day I journal and then I close out the day by journaling about what was the, what happened that day and what were the goods, what were the bads, put it to rest and then create your intention for the next day. So that's one. And I found that to be hugely effective. The other thing I'm doing is that I exchanged my um, Netflix subscription for an audible subscription. Oh, okay. And, and so listening to really good books um, and really good podcasts, kind of like this one, you know this this podcast, or you mentioned Jocko's podcast, or there's a couple other really good ones out there that I listen to all the time. Um, so listening to really good podcasts in the morning, um, you know, if I'm on my way to the gym, on my way back from the gym, if I'm driving to school, back from school, um, just the downtime, or even if I'm in doing dishes, you know, or going for a run, there's things I can do to be benefiting myself and changing the way I think. Um, so one of the books I'm listening to right now, um, it's called Killing Secret Cows. Really great book. Highly recommended. If you want to start changing the way you think about finances and money, um, the book I listened to before that was another finance related book. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm also, you know, I, I, uh, any number of books uh, that I have on my on my reading list right now. All of them are related to personal development or just areas that interest me. That's that's what I focus on. Areas that interest me that are going to lift my spirit and going to enrich my, the way I think about the world and what I'm doing and the mission that I've set for myself. So that's number two is just constant learning. And then number three is something that I'm also doing. I've just started doing actually, and that is every single year I sit down and I create uh, a plan for what I want to accomplish that year, and I try to align it with the goals that I have for my life. Um, so I have a goal for my life. One of them being, you can find it on you know warriorjournal.com is to is to create warriors, to forge warriors, and to create a community of warriors to help people to become better versions of themselves. So that's one of my life goals. Mm. So every year I sit down and I map out that year. What is this year going to look like? What are my intentions for this year? What are my dreams? And what did I accomplish this year? And where do I hope to be um, at the end of this next year? And you'd be surprised, like, obviously things are going to change. Things are going to come out of right field or left field. And you're, not gonna, you're, you're just going to have to adjust um, in the middle of the year but having a plan is better than not having a plan because, and it kind of goes back to what we were already talking about at the very beginning. Maybe there's a good way to bring it full circle with a mission and a commander's intent is if you have a commander's intent for your life, then even if the mission changes a little bit, you can still keep it in line with your commander's intent that you already established at the beginning of the year. You can look back on that and say, oh, that's right. This is what I wanted to accomplish this year. So the situation's changed, but is there another way I can still accomplish that, this same goal that I have already set? So those are just a couple of things that I'm doing to continue to benefit and keep the warrior spirit alive in my own life.
0: Excellent. I think that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, we've said it multiple times. People can find you at thewarriorjournal.com. They can also find you on Instagram at the Warrior Journal blog. Uh, definitely taken a look at several, several of the blogs and I've really enjoyed it, especially this latest one that you just posted on servant leadership, especially during the Christmas season. I really enjoyed that one for sure. And if you'll just hang tight, uh, we'll wrap up wrap everything up offline. And I really appreciate your time, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hey, thank you, Stuart. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sheepdog Dad podcast. Thanks especially to our guest, Jason Downing, for coming on to discuss his website, The Warrior Journal, and his upcoming book. Remember, you can get in touch with Jason on his website, thewarriorjournal.com, and he's also active on Instagram at thewarriorjournalblog, and be sure to pick up his upcoming book coming out in March 2023. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star rating and review, and sign up for our upcoming newsletter. Visit thesheepdogdad.com for more topics such as this, and to sign up for our exclusive coaching service, Protect the Flock. Visit originusa.com and support American jobs and American manufacturing. That is o-r-i-g-i-n-u-s-a.com. Origin USA manufactures 100% made in America BJJ apparel such as gis and rash guards. They also manufacture jeans, boots, hoodies, their supplement line Jocko Fuel, and more. Use the code Jackson10 for 10% off all orders. That is J A C K S O N 10 for 10% off all orders at OriginUSA.com. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel.